That's an Intro. awful clap. Hey, everybody. Mike and Tim here. Welcome to the Vox <laughs> Podcast. Welcome to Snowmageddon. Um, welcome oh, to Snowpocalypse. Uh, we're under, I don't know, at least a foot of snow here in the great OH. And, uh, and here it's warmer than freaking Texas. Um, not as warm as Cancun, I hear, but, um, warmer cruising for a bruise, warmer than Texas. Poor Bonnie. I've I've been texting Bonnie. She was out. I know. Right. She was out of power for like 72, 80 hours. Yeah. No power, no water, boil advisory. So uh, just imagine how fun that is with two little kids. And they've got a lot of Texas listeners. I hope you guys are all, Oh, I know. I'm so sorry. That is brutal. All the water mains that are breaking. I mean, it looks awful. It absolutely yeah. looks awful. And they're just, of course, why would they be built for winter? Um, so, <laughs> oh, I just, yeah. Um, it's, I, I. what was the meme I saw the other day? It was like, hey, I'm tired of living through history-making events. <laughs> or it was something That's like that. It was good. wittier. It was wittier than that. But uh, yeah, anyway. I feel the weight of that comment. <laughs> anyway, yes. Uh, today we've got an interview uh, with a, a guy we've interviewed on the podcast before. He's a really thoughtful guy. Uh, his name is AJ Swoboda. And um, he was a pastor in Portland for a while, Pacific Northwest. That's how I had heard of him. Now he's a professor. And in our, in our interview, he is—he looks the part. He has embraced that role naturally. <laughs> um, there is, I mean, if if all he was missing was Tim Stafford's tweed jacket with leather elbow pads um, or patches, then it would have been complete. But, I'm just backsliding. I'm this T-shirt that I'm wearing right now is what I taught in yesterday. Oh my goodness, what is it? Let me see. It's a purple heart. With with the creature from the Black Lagoon, <laughs> nice, nice, and it's still on, which tells you it's yeah. fresh, um, fresh, so fresh and so clean. <laughs> so AJ wrote a book called After Doubt, um, uh, how to question your faith without losing it, and you know, anytime that kind of th- subject comes across the Vox, uh, the Vox eyes, uh, we're we're always interested in having those conversations. So. Um, here, here is the interview about the book. We'll do a a brief outro, uh, reflected on the interview. Um, after we listen to it again, I want to thank, oh man, we've got some patrons that came on this month or this week. Excuse me. Trying to find them. There's Robert for there's Robert. And I think there was one more Josh, Josh and Robert have come on the Patreon team, baby. And thank you for that. Um, Patreon.com, Vox Podcast with Mike Geary, soon to be named something else. And we're even tired of waiting at this point. So we'll see. It's coming. Um, (laughs) Our friend Brenda is doing such magnificent work. You cannot rush her genius. You simply cannot rush it. Tim and I would have renamed it. We would have started with our current name at the beginning of the episode and come up with a new one by the end. And the whole episode would have been about how we came up with a new name. Brenda is a professional. There, there, are, <laughs> there, are, there are branding themes. It's like, I mean, it is ridiculously amazing. Uh, but it's coming. So anyway. It's coming. Ladies and gentlemen, that's Patreon. Here you go. Enjoy the interview with AJ. The thing that's been interesting, I I really resonate with what you're saying. The thing that's been interesting to me has been how many of these ideologies that are tearing us asunder come from within the church. Yeah. What, what have you seen or experienced? Cause right. You grew up, you grew up uh, conservative Christian. No, I I didn't actually, I didn't meet Jesus till I was 16 raised by a progressive in a progressive secular household uh, met Jesus at 16 um, my, my father is a, 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 a progressive Buddhist and my mom is a conservative evangelical. I didn't know that. And they're, yeah, they're, wow. they're, they're not married anymore. I couldn't imagine that marriage working at, mm. and it didn't, um, but you have two very different parents. And so in a very weird way, I have this opportunity to actually know t- these two people who in the normal world would be crucifying each other on Twitter. Um, mm. and I'm related to both of them. So it's this, you know, cool <laughs> dialogue that i get to have with both of them yeah yeah now that's really interesting how how in that in that 
uh, circumstance did you come to faith? Yeah, math class of all places. It's the only time in human history God's worked in math class. Um, <laughs> Amen. I was, uh, in my geometry high school math class, and I overheard the two girls behind me arguing about when Jesus was coming back. Um, and they had been reading this book called the Left Behind series. Yes. And I went home and read my Bible, and um, I had an encounter with Jesus in my bedroom. Um, and it was, I was 16 years old and I was in the midst of, I mean, for 11 to 16 for, it was a horrible season of my life. My parents had gone through a divorce. I was, I, I was going through a personal, horrible existential sexual identity crisis, um, mm. that, uh, you know, we call puberty, but in reality it was, uh, for me, just a, a very painful season of seeing my parents, uh, go separate ways. And I was very hungry for God. Yeah. Oh my goodness. You are, oh, that, yeah, that's, that's such a I could say I listened to uh, one of your sermons, but it, it had nothing. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that applies to the next question, which is when, so, so you get, you get, you, it sounds like you kind of have had a radical conversion experience, right? Yeah. Where there was a definite before and after. Yes. And, and you were nurtured in, a charismatic faith environment um, from what I'm picking up throughout the book. When, when, when did you become a doubter? Was that mm-hmm. always there or did that emerge? I, so when I first, um, when I first um, met, met Jesus, uh, I, um, I, the first church I went to was actually a, a conservative evangelical Baptist church in my hometown, which I look back on with profound gratefulness. I, I that community taught me, the Bible. They taught me to love God. They taught me how to worship. They taught me to share my faith. They taught me a lot of phenomenal things. And I look back on that community to this day with just deep, deep reverence for what God was doing. But simultaneously was have, you know, handed a very low view of women, for example. Mm-hmm. And later on in life, which is often the deconstruction experience, you begin to come to terms with the good stuff that you receive from your faith family of origin, but you also come to terms with the stuff that wasn't all that good. Um, there's a there's actually a throwaway line in one of Eugene Peterson's books where he talks about people that go to the hospital to get healthy. That when you go to the hospital to get healthy, often you go to get healthy, but then you pick up a new disease at the hospital because it's full of sick people. And eventually what happens, I think, to all of us is the people that handed us the faith also handed us some sicknesses. Hmm. And I think a healthy part of, you say I'm a doubter, but in reality, um, I, I I think I went through just a really healthy season of receiving the good stuff, but also undoing some of the stuff that wasn't good. And I, I again, <clears throat> um, I'm grateful for the community that handed me the faith that I do, but I'm also grateful for beginning to see some things that Jesus was inviting me into uh, af- after that. Deconstruction um, and doubt, you know, the, the, the deconstruction conversation, which everybody's happening right now, mm-hmm. um, deconstruction is not always bad. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, you know, Jesus was a deconstructor. Anytime in Matthew, when he says, you've heard it said, but I say to you, he's inherently deconstructing bad interpretations of the Bible. Martin Luther was deconstructing forms of Catholicism that he saw were abusive. There are forms of deconstruction that can be very, very good. But as mm-hmm. we also know, there can be forms of deconstruction that are extremely dangerous to the human soul and can push us and pull us away from the kingdom of Jesus. So how do you so how do you distinguish between the intellectual repentance that you're talking about, which is the sifting and sorting, versus the destructive impulse to just to burn everything down, yes, and uh, you know just rejoice in its ashes? Yes, yeah. Um, So so one of um, the the way that I outline this 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 concept of of I call it the theological journey, which is that there are a couple of stages in our theological formation, right? So mm-hmm. the construction stage are those early years of faith when we receive the language of faith. Yeah. Um, this is a baby learning how to talk. Yeah, you know, a baby just receives the words they're given. You know, it's it's not, yep. babies don't construct their own. It's pre-critical faith. in your words. It's, exactly. It's pre-critical faith. When I first, you know, started following Jesus, I just believed that in the Trinity, I didn't have a, I didn't have an argument for it. I just received it. And by God's grace, I did. I'm so grateful I did. Yeah. Deconstruction is that stage where we begin to reflect on those pre-critical beliefs. And then, but, but so many people assume that, that 
is the end of the construction stage. When in reality, it often is a continuation of it. And there's a third stage that we call reconstruction, which is actually beginning to return to those original constructive beliefs, but with a new set of eyes. And we come to it's they're not new beliefs, but often, but they're returning to some of those other beliefs. Yeah. Slam that slam that phone down. Yeah. Is that a we, landline? Was that was a the landline? Lord calling me and saying, "Are we? Are we sure we want to go down this road?" <laughs> so, so dude, if it's mom, take it. No, it's not mom. It's probably somebody on a different floor in my office saying, "You're you're you're yelling. Stop." Oh, perfect. Um, oh, I love that. So, so <laughs> we ha- most evangelicals. Um, don't un, do not understand the difference between what we call orthodoxy or core theological beliefs and what Luther called adiaphora or mm-hmm. non-essential. Yeah. So for some for some Christians, every thought of, of theologically is an orthodox issue, and it's either in or out, in or out, in or out, in or out. And some, you know, on the more progressive side, have a very small orthodox circle of things that are essential. Here's what I'm trying to say. We need to really get back to reading dead Christians. <laughs> now, what I mean by that is we, you know, there is a fundamental difference between embracing the faith for yourself and coming up with your own faith. Mm. And what we are seeing now is a whole generation of people who are beginning to create a form of Christianity that doesn't reflect our history. It doesn't reflect where we've come from, the apostles, you know, sort of our early church. Here's what I'm trying to say. Um, I think it's very important that we remember what core theological beliefs are like non-essentials and which ones are, are not. And that's, these are, these are, these are core things for us to, to, to begin to reconsider. But wouldn't people say, and I, I don't know, I mean, I'm just, I'm just throwing this out there. That that when you look at the core of what Christianity is and the the harm that it's done in the world, maybe it's those beliefs that need to be deconstructed. I mean, in other words, if I'm in the middle of deconstruction, am I even able to make that distinction, or is that part of? Because I was oh, I was taught that the thing comes as a package, right? If you doubt one part of it, the whole ball is going to unravel. Yeah, and you're saying that's not true. I'm 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 saying I'm saying that Christianity is the only movement, the only religious tradition in the world that sees theological repentance as a sign that you're on the right track. Hmm. And let me, let, me, let me rephrase that. A Christian should be the best person in the world to recognize their own wrongness. Right. I, and, love, that, I love that you have a whole chapter on practicing being wrong. Exactly. I love like, that. We, we have... Let me illustrate this. Mark, the Gospel of Mark, is not written by somebody who actually followed Jesus. It's written by, it's written by Mark, John Mark, who knew Peter. He's writing Peter's story. Right. And when you read Mark, there is no gospel that is more honest about Peter's downfall than Mark. Now, put the pieces together. Peter was telling his story of wrongness. Mm. That was, it's literally canonized into our inspired scripture. (laughs) The fact that our greatest apostle, other than Jesus, is writing in his own wrongness in light of Jesus. Bro, the reform bros would go after you on the greatest apostle. I'm sorry, man. That's just, that's Paul, clearly. Okay. Okay. I, I, fair enough. (laughs) But but my, my, my point in saying it, that's it. Um, the sign that you're wrong, the fact that you're wrong as a Christian is a sign that you're actually pursuing something greater than yourself. One of my greatest ways of finding out if somebody um, is humble is asking them the question, when was the last time you were wrong about God? And if their answer is, I can't think of a time, then ultimately what they think about God is themselves. and, and, And there is no, for them, something outside themselves. But if you've been wrong, um, it at least implies that you're recognizing there's somebody outside yourself that you're trying to understand. I, oh, this yeah. is my way of saying that um, it is it is okay to learn that you've got some intellectual sanctification to to go through. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and and part of that process, 
so so we start by saying deconstruction isn't necessarily a bad thing not at all in fact the way you frame it it's a necessary part of the journey right yes. to have to come to real authentic yes. faith can can i talk about a cultural dynamic to this so that there's yes. a cultural aspect to this as well absolutely the 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 biblical world the new testament world um is is what we call uh, an honor culture right so an honor culture is a culture that spends almost all of its energies protecting, preserving, and dare I say, retweeting beliefs of the past. So, <laughs> so, so honor cultures, everything is about passing along the past. Right. Our culture is the absolute opposite. So like in the New Testament, Jesus says, a prophet has no honor in their hometown. And what, what that means is when it came down to it, the hometown couldn't make space for the new idea because it was preserving the old ones. That's so right. in, in the New Testament, a prophet had no honor in their hometown. In our Western progressive world, um, it's very different. In the, in the Bible, a, a prophet had no honor in his hometown. In our world, a prophet has no honor for their hometown. Hmm. And we've come to a place now where we have spent almost all of our energy trying to dislocate ourselves from the past and undo the past that everything becomes the worship of the future and where we're going. Mm -hmm. And to be a Christian mm -hmm. is to constantly be remembering who we are, where we come from, our story, and not and, and honoring that. There is a part of leaving, right? The part of leaving our homes to follow Jesus and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. But we cannot dislocate or separate leaving from honoring. We need to leave and honor. Those Both of those matter. Right. Uh, so, so if I were going to put that in my words the 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 core of the faith is an inherited faith we don't get to invent it yeah. and call it yes. that while paul at the called, same time yeah it's exactly right paul the, in the new testament uh, the the language the the, the 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 verbiage is actually important he doesn't say have faith he says keep the faith i mean he does say he does say have faith but but he also emphasizes the faith hapistos mm. the the it it's it, it's something you receive and pass along, right? Um, and so it's not just the act of having the faith; it is right. also receiving the faith. Right. And it is entirely possible for us to change the faith for the next generation. And I'm arguing here that's a very dangerous place to go. Right? How but do we care for the faith that has been handed in a way that's contextually sensitive, but? Is still faith. How, let me so, say this. I'm sitting. I was sitting in my office. Okay. Let me, okay. I'm no, sitting in my office. This is awesome. Go. And I had a student say to me, "We're, we're talking about sexuality and faith." Mm. And I said to the student, "I said, well, what do you think God thinks about this?" And I'm, I'm, on sexuality, I'm very conservative. I mean, I'm 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 stuck in the first century, and I'm not going anywhere. To be honest with you. Okay. <clears throat> and this young woman says, "Well, I think God has evolved." Mm -hmm. And I said. Well, what has God evolved into? And she described what she thought God was evolved into. Mm -hmm. I'm sitting there listening to her. And she, you know, she's describing that God has evolved into this very progressive kind of and, and I and it dawned on me. I said, Are you describing God or yourself? And it dawned on me that her vision of God evolving was that God was becoming more like her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Here's my point. Um you know, it's, it's been said, you know, we we were made in God's image, but we're really darn good at returning the favor. Right. And that is a form of deconstruction that I think is extremely dangerous. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, for sure. But I, I, what's, what's the, because I, I, I'm afraid people will hear this and think, okay, so the progressive Christians are the bad ones. No. And I don't, I, exactly. No. So, so no. there is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I know you it don't is, think it that. Is, it is for, for the for the for the white conservative evangelical who has fused together Republican politics with the gospel. That is as important for us to deconstruct as anything. That yeah. has to be decoupled. If we do not decouple those two things, then we are going to see generation after generation after generation utterly, reprehensibly reject. The Christian faith. That's right. Or actually, I don't know if they're going to re reject Christian faith. They're going to be rejecting this false form of Christianity. Um, right. So, at, what I'm trying to say is, 
um, left and right are equally as damnable in this conversation. We need Jesus and Jesus alone. So how do you get there? I mean, if I'm if I'm in the middle of deconstructing, so so let's say uh, I've seen the revelations about my favorite Christian leaders, yeah. or I've just lived life, and I have friends who are gay or trans or whatever, and they're incredibly good people, and I'm like, well, really, we're just going to damn them to hell. Um, why wouldn't I think that God is at, at the barest as loving as I am? You know, why wouldn't I think that? Why wouldn't that be a natural thought? What what di- what dynamic am I missing in that assumption? I would begin. I mean, and ultimately, in the book, I outline um, eight practices. Mm-hmm. That's why this. I, I'm, I don't I don't don't intend to sound like I'm selling the book here. I am selling the book. <laughs> um, but, but it's um, okay. The uniqueness of this book is it actually outlines eight distinct practices that you can walk through in the midst of doubt and deconstruction that will orient you towards reconstruction, back mm-hmm. back to uh, toward um, uh, toward Jesus. And how do we do it? Well, it, it turns out that if we spend all of our time only listening to podcasts that help us deconstruct our faith, we will deconstruct our faith. Hmm. It turns out we actually do become kind of the things that we put in our brains and our heart. Imagine this. What? I I know I'm sounding Francis Schaefer-esque here. (laughs) But there's a callback. we, we, We do become our community. And right. when right. Thomas does not believe that the resurrection happened, <clears throat> it is the other disciples who say that it has, and they point him to the resurrected Christ. And in those moments when we find ourselves blind, we need a community of people that are pointing us to the resurrected Jesus. <clears throat> this is, I think, my way of saying, this is why reading dead Christians is important, mm. is we need to hear the voice of people who have gone before us. <clears throat> For those in deconstruction and doubt, there's this often there's this often thing I find when they're sitting in my office or having a conversation where they think, they genuinely believe that their epistemic challenge towards Christianity is somehow new, unique, or special. Hmm. And that they are the first person because they watch that interesting <clears throat> uh, Sam Harris uh, video on YouTube. They think they're the first person to, to think through one of these epistemic crises. Mm-hmm. And what I want to remind the church is that we have 2,000 years of Christians who have gone before us, who have faithfully walked this path, who path, who have remarkable and beautiful things to tell us, mm-hmm. and that we don't have to do it all alone, and that <clears throat> we can put in our hearts and minds the words of Mother Teresa and, and the works of Francis Schaeffer and the works of uh, St. Augustine and Athanasius and what need to go on, people sometimes that we don't even like, but people have gone before <laughs> Right. This is not unexplored terrain. No, the, no, there is no question that we are asking right now that is any way, shape, or form unique or different from generations past. There is no new question under the sun. So so I, I wonder about that because I wonder about the tr- women transitioning into men and men transitioning into women question. So I think that feels new to me in some ways. Mm-hmm. Now, not that, that issue isn't new, but how we should talk about it feels new to me, but that's a different, that is by far a different story. Um, So the question I have, one of the, one of the practices that I really like you, you paint deconstruction as a whole body experience. It's, we pretend it's simply intellectual, but it's emotive. It is sociological. It's this big thing, which means reconstruction is a whole body experience. And, uh, and I love that one of your practices is to feel everything mm. um, that, that, are, that are intellectual either propping up of Jesus or our intellectual tearing apart of Jesus. Both can serve as ways in which we're refusing to do the inner work of what's really at the core yes. of, of what's happening. Yes. 
this had been pointed out to me by um, a professor at Fuller um, a couple a couple of months ago. I didn't I didn't know this. This was news to me. But um, you know, you have in the Psalms a number of different Psalms, right? But you've got a whole category in precatory Psalms, which are Psalms of rage and anger. Yes. And she yes. she pointed out to me. <laughs> That um, that those many of those psalms have been re- removed from daily office readings in in churches for the last hundred years. They've been removed mm-hmm. because they're so offensive. Now, underlying that is this. Underlying that that move is is an assumption that rage and hate cannot be part of the Christian journey. And and that rage and hate. there's a sign that's there's a sign down the road out right outside my house that says hate has no home here right and I want to say why I, hate is a fundamental part of the Christian journey if you don't hate your mother and your father you can't pursue Jesus right and, which and I the, always understood the, to the mean point not, here is not literally that you that you that you want to hurt or harm but the emotion of hate. Hmm is to be felt Hmm. the emotion of rage is canonized into god's inspired word we are to feel these things we're not to act on them we're not to go out and kill people as a result of them but to hate and rage is real and important and when we create spiritual environments where we tell people stuff emotions stuff emotions stuff emotions you can only sweep stuff under the rug for so long right do you feel like partially that's why some of the conspiracy stuff is attractive? It, it's an outlet for emotion that is not allowed in religious environments. You name it, that or Twitter. I mean, it, it's it, the, <laughs> yeah, all, all of this. Twi- Twitter is just <clears throat> our way of having imprecatory conversation without God. <laughs> that, is, that is so true. Yes. Let me call down curses upon everybody. Oh, that's so true. But that that's it. I, I got a stew on that one. That's a nugget where I'm like, hmm. You know, Jesus is like set aside contempt. And uh, but but I hear what you're saying. Hey, these are real things. Don't pretend like you don't feel them. Yes. But they're the, but, these are not yeah, go prescriptive ahead. things. I'm not saying the Bible is saying like feel them if you can, or the Bible's not saying like you should feel these things. Right. But there's there's room in the canon for these emotions. There's a place mm. to send these emotions. Mm. And we're intended by God to bring our hate to God, mm. you know, to, to bring it as an act of mm. love to God. You know, and, but the truth of the matter is the opposite of love is not hate. We, you know, we assume right. the opposite of love is apathy. It's not caring. Right. And, you know, in, in the Bible, we actually have depictions of God saying he hates people. God, Jacob, I've loved Esau, I've hated. That's not his saying that he doesn't love him. Hate is just really hurt love. What you Mm. can't say is God is apathetic. God is never apathetic in the Bible. Yeah, he God has all those feelings that Mm. a father would feel for their child who is making choices that they know break their heart. Right. But at the end of the day, you don't have a God who doesn't care. And for me, or God who doesn't feel, I should say, when we see People angry in the streets, standing up and fighting for black lives. When we see that, we need to remember that those conversations are happening in the streets and not the churches Hmm. because we have given no space to put our fists in the air and say, this stuff is wrong in our communities. Hmm. And I honestly believe if if God's people could grieve the way God does, these conversations would be happening in our pews rather than in its in the streets. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that that would you say something that about parents and children that I think is true in churches as well. One of the things you talk about is how um one of the reasons why kids deconstruct uh, when they leave for when they leave the home is that they were never given any opportunity to differentiate themselves earlier. And and it feels similar about leaving the church, that the churches that permit a wide range of questioning and wrestling and leaving and process, 
um, you don't walk away from those as quickly as you do the places where there's just a velvet, you know, sheen over everything that's negative. Yep. And, um, and, it, and it's curious to me how you would build a church that, that permits those kinds of things, because you're right, they are, um, they are things that we feel and we're told we shouldn't feel them or they have no place in Jesus land. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know who it was who told me this, but when you look at the ideological spectrum of different communities, uh, in the conservative, on the conservative side, um, conservatives often um, won't allow new questions to be asked or something like that. Mm-hmm. So the new questions are sort of unpermitted. Well, it's not any better on the progressive side where old answers are not permitted there. Mm-hmm. So you have one side where you're allowed to have new questions. You can't have new questions. And you have one right. side where you can't have old answers. Yeah. So we're torn between these like two. What if we had an environment where we are allowed to ask the new questions and still have the old answers just in the new way? Yeah. You You said, you said, um, we either demonize doubt or we demand it. We demand, we require it. Exactly. It's exactly right. Yeah. But we don't. Yeah. Can I talk about the parenting thing for a second? Because it's not just about parenting. It is about creating environments where Doubting Thomas can come to church and find his identity in Jesus and then go be the first missionary in India, which he was. Hmm. Um, you, by the way, ever met uh, a, an Indian Christian whose last name is Thomas. You are meeting somebody whose 2,000 years history is related to their faith of Thomas, who was called Doubting Thomas and became one of the greatest missionaries in Christian history. Wow. What if we created an environment where Doubting Thomas has a place to sit for a little bit before he heads off to his missionary journey? Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> the... I, I have a story of a young woman who um, was raised in a, in a Christian home where there were no boundaries. You talk about differentiation. There were no boundaries. Mm-hmm. And she said the signpost that there were no boundaries in her home <clears throat> were that, was that her mom, her Christian mom, would just barge into her room all the time and would never knock. She would just barge in. She'd never knock. There were no boundaries. And she said that mm-hmm. was the sign. There were, there were no boundaries. Mm-hmm. So in college, she completely deconstructs her faith. And then after college has a kid, which makes you really need God really fast. <laughs> so she has a kid and she starts reading her Bible again. Hmm. And she is reading. She comes to Revelation and she reads that Jesus stands at the door and knocks. And, knocks. Yep. Yep. and for the first time, she said, I could believe because all of a sudden I realized this God has really good boundaries. Hmm. Isn't it amazing? When we assume to offer advice and theology and reality without being invited in, Hmm. it is non-consensual spiritual work. (laughs) And I would argue that for people who are deconstructing, more important than anything is they're given permission to say yes or no, whether they're willing to have the conversation. Yeah. And that before we assume to say, well, why don't you believe in the Trinity anymore? Why don't you believe in the, these things? Right. That be, we begin with, can I have permission to talk about this? Yeah. Would you be willing to have a dialogue about this? And if they say no, stand there the way Jesus does and just and continue to knock. Right. But when we don't give consent or we're not given consent, yeah. it creates more of a desire to push away because we are not being honored who we are. You are talking to somebody who believes the Bible is in, is absolutely inspired. The Trinity is real. Jesus physically resurrected, not in our hearts. He actually resurrected that Jesus is the only way to God. But you're talking to somebody who believes those core Orthodox beliefs. But I end up pushing people away from them when I don't offer those points of faith as an act of faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, 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 and speaking of faith, um, we we conceive of construction and deconstruction almost exclusively in believing terms, right? So it's the the deconstruction is dismantling my previous set of believings, and reconstructing we conceive as just of having a different set of believings, but it's all related to the believings bit of that. Yeah, um, which really calls into question the idea that that, and you say it you know blatantly, we're not. We're not 
quote-unquote saved on the basis of how many right beliefs we have about God. Yes. Yes. And? Yes. And beliefs do matter. (laughs) Fundamentally, they really matter. Yeah, but let's talk about how they relate. Because on the one hand, you have uh, beliefs are all that matter. And on the other, beliefs don't matter at all. Yes. So let's talk about that middle. Because... Yes. Yep. Go for it. You're the no. You wrote the book, dude. I'm doing too much talking. You wrote the book. No, Let's go. Am I you have the beer. Shut up. Shut up. You're 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 you you, you, Mike, you swim in this stuff all the time and know this as much as I do. Um. So, I love my wife more than anybody. I mean, she's my best friend. I have faith in my wife. Mm-hmm. I trust my wife. Right. I trust my wife more than I trust anybody else. And on the physical realm, I trust my wife. I do not ask my wife to not lose my keys. Facts. Okay. Yep. I'm now, in that marriage. I trust Jesus more than my wife. I trust Jesus implicitly, <laughs> but I do not trust Jesus to tell me everything I want to hear. I do not trust Jesus to give me everything I want. And I do not trust Jesus to be all that interested in ensuring my 401k is everything I want it to be. Mm -hmm. There is a fundamental difference between the personhood of trust, trusting Jesus above all things and trusting ideas about Jesus that are not connected to that person. And what I'm trying to say is we are called to follow and trust Jesus, even in the midst of our ideas, not working out. Right. Right. Now, if we have a set of ideas about Jesus that don't reflect Jesus, it's going to push us from Jesus. Here's what we mean. If I believed in my mind that my wife were having an affair on me, it's going to relate the way that I love my wife. Right. If I have wrong ideas about my wife, it is going to impact my relationship with my wife. But my ideas about my wife come and go. My love for her remains the same. Mm-hmm. You have this great so, line. There's an intersection there between the affect of faith and trust that's right. that's right and the ideas and every follower of jesus is going to go through moments in their life when they are going to remind they are going to find out some of their ideas needed some clarification and that does not have to change their affect and their trust in jesus c.s lewis in come on in his, dead christian he's a dead, dead christian. let's go to the dead ones yep <laughs> perfectly put it this way in a grief observed of course he does when he called yes he calls god the great iconoclast mm-hmm. who from time to time actually comes to shatter our ideas of him so we can learn to love him more yeah jesus did not come to save our faith he came to save us and from time to time he actually has to shatter what we think in order for us to love him the best come on you you have this, and again, I hate this, but I'm doing it. Just let me quote my book. Your book, I'm quoting your book back to you so that you can comment on how brilliant it is. I'm going to tweet myself that you quoted from <laughs> Yes, <laughs> yes. But there, it was pithy, but it was bad beliefs don't necessarily send us to hell, but often put us through it. Yeah. And I was like, ooh. That, Ideas some, yeah. yeah, they do. They, and 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 I'm gonna take a swipe swipe here at, at my progressive friends who almost make belief sound like ah whatever they you know they're not a big they're not a big deal I guess conservatives do this too but this form of Christianity that says our ideas don't really matter as long as we just sort of trust in Jesus and that's hogwash um, our ideas are life and death um, they I mean I remember when uh, the the, the church that I served in for years as a college pastor, we discovered our, our church was had become the, the children's building had become an environmental mess. So they, they tore this building down, right? The good thing to do and rebuild it. And I'm standing out there. They had just built this building like 10 years earlier. And I'm standing there watching it get, get torn down. And it dawns on me, why was this building that was just built 10 years earlier, such a bad building. And I turned to my senior pastor and I said, why was it built so bad? And he said that the people who built the building thought Jesus would be back by the end of the year. And I'm sitting there and it dawns on me, our theology actually matters. Like it actually impacts the land. Yeah. It actually impacts our, the- our, our, our bodies. It yeah. actually impacts our relationship. Ideas matter. And we, we, we will be, we, 
to not take into account the way our ideas reflect scripture or impact the lives of others is 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 asinine. Hmm. But we are saved through faith and not through perfect belief. And from time to time, friends, amazing. Jesus can die on the cross next to a guy who has no theological clarification, but who can say, will you remember me today in paradise and finds himself in the arms of Jesus? And there's nothing to suggest he came down and did a perfect nine-week study on (laughs) Christian doctrine. Totally. Um, Yeah. Totally. Well, man, I know you've got class. What what class are you teaching this morning? Uh, I am teaching an upper division course on the book of Hebrews. Whoa! Whoa! Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. There's some Jewish no, stuff you, in there. You're Be at careful. this point you arrived. It's it's um right. I, can, can I give up just a, I'm not a, I'm not pastoring church, but just a pastoral word. Yes. For the, for the person listening to this, who is saying, okay, like right here and right now, what can I do? And it sound I I don't want to be trite here, but I just love that the New Testament doesn't even give us the sinner's prayer, but it does give us the doubter's prayer. Hmm. Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Yeah. And I, I, when I prayed Jesus into my heart and gave the sinner's prayer, I, I'm so thankful I did that. But there did come a point when I needed to say to God, God, I believe with all my heart, but I really am struggling with unbelief. Yeah. I know it sounds nerdy, but on your way to work and bed or whatever, say that to Jesus. Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. Yeah. It's a good word, dude. Look at you. You still got it. It's in there. You still got it. <laughs> pastored, pastored for a while now, sitting over, surrounded by books, but still yeah. pastoring. Did you know my maiden name is Patreon? What? <laughs> You're such a dork. I don't know why that came to my mind. That's funny. It's funny. I don't what, know why. It's what's it. that? What's the J? <laughs> A's Aaron, but what's the J? Aaron, Aaron Jason Swoboda. Ooh, it's a lot of ends. A lot of ends there. So you just went with AJ. I get it. I get it. I get that. AJ. You're on Twitter, more so lately. Thank you. Yes. Um, so where can they find? Where, where can they? The people. The, <laughs> where can the people find you, my friend? I am M R A J Swoboda uh, uh, on on Twitter, and I am I do have an uh, a website. Yes. Uh, as well, uh, yes. Ooh. Ooh. Boom. All right, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. My friend, AJ, thank you so much for your time, dude. Yeah, it's a joy. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you for what you do more. Um, it's, it, yep. How old are you? I don't know why I asked that, but um, I'm looking at you. I am turning 40 in a certain number of days. Nice, dude. It's a great decade. Is it? 40s nope. are Nope, not even remotely. But good luck to you. <laughs> and... Um, just where he, if you could see him, he's got a sweater on over a button-down shirt, and he looks, he looks like look. a professor. Like, like you've you've settled into your soul's calling, my friend. Yeah. And um, anyway, you rock. Thank you for your time today. Can I? Are we are we done? <laughs> Bye. Bye. All right, Timothy John, you were awfully quiet. Oof. What was going through well, that? You guys were, that very handsome you guys were on brain a theological of yours. Roll. You guys were rolling, <laughs> so I didn't want to pipe in. My my things with these are always so. I had lots of thoughts, um, and maybe it's because I have a lot of people in my life right now who are going through doubting processes. Yep, processes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well. Let me preface by saying that this is um, not, uh, I'm not responding to what AJ said or like criticizing it or anything. I just, these are uh, follow-up questions that we didn't have time for me to ask. We ran out of time, but just things that I was thinking about while we were, while you guys, while the two of you were talking. Um, So, and so much of it, usually when when these kind of conversations happen where I think he was saying something to the effect of, 
we need to go back and you know visit the dead authors and all this like history and all this content that comes into the necessities of faith and i could hear so many of my friends just being like that's why i don't have space for this like <laughs> this is you know what i mean like it's one thing when people are professors or, or in seminaries or they've spent their life researching and doing this stuff but the complexities of believing in an entity that exists in a realm or around everything that we're doing and that it's the be all end all of everything. And, uh, but I don't feel him or see him or, um, et cetera, et cetera, you know? And it's just like, I don't have the time to do that research and understand all those complexities. So why, you know what I mean? Like, why would I, that, I can see it as an intellect, like an intellectual deconstruction is one thing, but to the single mom or to, um, you know, the, the dad that's working 60 to 80 hour weeks, um, I feel like it's, that's really, that's a really scary concept Yeah, and it maybe pushes people a little further. I'm not saying he does this, but I, there, there, it's just such a complex thing and i feel like sometimes we're like hey guys uh faith is really complex you need to do a lot of this work and then at the other uh, the other time we'll say like it's just so easy just accept <laughs> jesus and and then, and then some of those people are sitting in that mess of that tug from totally. both ends and they're just like i totally. can't like what yeah. why would i do this and why does god make it so difficult and so terrible oh well that's a bigger question my goodness to, a <laughs> to the aj thing Tim, I, I think I think a lot of people feel that way. Just even about the Bible, like if I yes. can't just read it in English, then why not? Then what am I doing? Yeah. And um, so I think I think you're so dead on with that's right. How people are feeling. I think AJ. I mean AJ obviously can speak for himself. And thanks for bringing that up during our interview. Not. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think his bigger point was just, hey, this this is terrain that is um, very explored in the Christian life. And uh, unless you have um, guides who have a bit of perspective, it's very easy to feel isolated, scared. I'm turning my back on God. I'm, you know... Um, these questions feel so overwhelming, like there are no answers. I think, I think that was the bigger thing he was probably getting at was just saying, nah, yeah. you know, I mean, for, and, and I've, I'm not a big, um, read dead, dead people person. Um, I see them. I don't necessarily read them. <laughs> Sixth sense reference. Um, but, but there, there, CS has been one of those people. Um, I, I read St. Augustine's Confessions uh, in my 20s, and that was really beautiful. Like, um, there's, there's, it, it's true that there is a, it's called chronological snobbery that infects mm. us where we just think if it's new, it must be better. Um, that's for sure true. But I think these days we're all looking for trusted guides. Um, and... Uh, you know, for so somebody who reads dead people um, and channels them, I, I love I love listening to those people. Like, I mean, AJ's books filled with um, reflections on different. Like, there's this thing about um, in the Amish community, and I've heard of this years ago, but they have a ceremony when someone turns 16 where you get to go to the city and kind of do whatever you want, and then you yeah. choose whether or not to be baptized back into the community. And I yeah. thought, you know, I, that's a long time since I'd heard that. Um, and he had some 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 good stuff. So I, I'm not, I don't know. I'm I I don't know why I'm over talking this point, other than just to say, I think that I I think what he's saying is true. Um, the problem is we don't have lives that are open to this kind of reflection, this kind of reading, this kind of time. Um, it's like it's like the single person that teaches on how great it is to have a Sabbath. You're right. like, well, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, totally. You, 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 come on. You just, you know, you don't have, totally. you don't have three kids and 
and right. house repairs and whatever else. So yeah, so I get that. Sometimes you're like, ah, okay. Um, I'm going to hell because it's literally impossible for me to stay in bed on Sunday. <laughs> totally, totally. So yeah, I, I get that. Uh, well, I'm curious too. Like the so I think about this, and I'm trying. I was I'm just trying to think of questions that people would bring up after listening to that. And I, this has nothing to do with what AJ is saying. I didn't read his book. Um, Slacker. But, yeah. But the, like I, when I think about, I'm always, I'm really fascinated by like the church in Acts. And, or even after that too, a little bit, like when Paul's writing letters and it's like, it's not like Paul was sending an email every single day. That was like, here's the, here's some new interpretations of scripture. And here's this, like, maybe they got a letter or two every year, however many months or yeah. No, so it's like, I mean, and this was... many of them can't read. And so they have like, they might have one dude in the, in the group that can read and he's got the, the old Testament and he's, they're just like, Hey, Frank, guess what? You're the, you can read great. You're the pastor or, you know what I mean? Like you're the interpreter of the. Well, the, usually you would send you would send a person with the letter. So Paul would send one of his associates, like Phoebe, is right. the bearer of the letter to Rome. So she would be the one that would read it and answer questions about it. See, but I'm interested in the time period in between. Oh, when all those people had died, or or when the letters in between the letters. Or oh in yes, between, yes. Because it's so much of it's not like they had the internet or they had all these. Uh, you know, the books that we have, or they didn't have C.S. Lewis or Martin Luther or whoever else was mentioned, but they just had this little community of people that were like dumbfounded by the person of Jesus and this message. And then they were living together in that. And that was the, that was what like, that's an interesting look at faith. Cause it wasn't about these, it doesn't seem to me, or I'm questioning that it was about these really complex issues that are sending you one way or another. It was about living this life together yeah, it was on a called daily the, basis. It was called the way. Yeah, it was and a way so I'm of really, life. I think that's fascinating because it's more. It seems less intellectual and more. Uh, yeah. And nothing against. I love thinking about all these deep things and stuff. But I think a lot of people's faith is in the is in the everyday and the nitty gritty, and that gets like. They're just like that's great. C.S. Lewis is super cool. Um, I you know. My, I am struggling in my marriage and I don't understand why, or like, I, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's just a little things where it's like, these people are, have the weight of the world on their shoulders and they're like, <clears throat> he's not taking that weight. And this book ain't taking that weight. And this old theologian ain't taking that weight. Yeah. Where's Jesus. Right. And it's like, well, let's talk about um, what so-and-so wrote in 1865. And they're like, no, nope, I want to know where Jesus is now. Chuck Spurgeon, baby. Um, <laughs> And that reminds me, Tim, as you're as you're speaking, I, I'm sitting and thinking about how much of um, my theological posturing is a result of undercurrents that are happening in my um, in my soul. In other words, um, one of the things that AJ brings up that I thought was really insightful was he he even talks about how. Um, he was opposed, he began to deconstruct a doctrine because there was a church that was really big in his area that proclaimed that doctrine. And so he was envious Hmm. and, um, what a candid admission (laughs) that, see, I just think, I, I think we all make a great, you know, show of this being primarily intellectual. Uh, and for sure it is, um, but there's a lot of emotion in there and a lot of um, yeah, a lot of family of origin stuff. And I don't want to make it a therapeutic journey, but that it includes that for sure. Absolutely. Well, I really appreciated the stuff he was saying about rage and um, anger. And cause I mean, this has been such a season of like revisiting lament and revisiting that like two thirds of the Psalms are just like, where are you? Why aren't you here? I don't get it. Yeah. And that was an important element of faith is just being like, what in the world? <laughs> and so having a full range of uh, like human emotions be a, be an intricate part of faith, that's I think that's wonderful. Yes. And I think that's a really beautiful idea. And we should all, you know what he's saying about if you can't be angry in the church, then it's like we should be angry in the church. 
Right. And I agree. The church should be the ones with the fists in the air over Black Lives Matter. And, you know, you can push back as much as you want on that, but it's, we should be the front line of caring about everybody and paying attention to people's pain and generational pain. And, mm. um, so yeah. And I, none of this is, none of this is critiques of anything that AJ said. I was just, this is what I was thinking about with, uh, yeah. you know, just, just the struggles and, you know, hope maybe someday we'll get into the, the struggles with the Bible. We like briefly touched on that in this or you guys briefly touched on it, but that's, <laughs> man, if, the Bible has become, in my circles, Yes, the Bible has become the number one stumbling block for people. And I yeah. think that's fascinating. Followed closely by the church. <laughs> right? Yeah. So the two, the two sort of unmistakable evidences in the world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Holy moly. Yes. Yes, yes. And the Bible, the Bible combo is interesting because... Um, Everything, every time I bring a, a question to the Bible, not every time, but almost every time, I'm surprised that I've been duped into believing something about the Bible the Bible doesn't actually say. Yeah. And now there's some things sure. I wish it would change right. for sure. And I went to it with a big question and came back with, oh, okay, well, it really does teach that. Um, and then the question becomes, who's, who's, who sits in authority, in, in authority over whom at this point? Right. Totally. Right? And I mean, that, then that becomes an existential faith question. Uh, you know, yeah. why? And so I happen to trust Dallas Willard, just as always, D. Willie has just this great intro in the, in the, uh, divine conspiracy where he just talks about, I believe the authors of the Bible were at least as, at least as competent as I am, and mm. at least as interested in spiritual things and truth as I am. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I, I don't believe in God because I believe in the Bible. I believe in the Bible because I believe in God. You know. Right. And to me, that flip. Yeah. Helped immensely because I started with Jesus and then worked my way out from there. To just take the book and go, why would you trust a 2,000-year-old book? In some cases, it's 6,000 years old or 4,000 yeah. years old. You're like, ugh, why would you even yeah. do that? But but then, you're, but then you know, Gombas um, was on in his podcast talking about, and I'd never heard this. He was talking about the submission passages in Ephesians, wives submit to your husbands. And it's part of something called a household code which very common in the ancient world. I've known about those. In fact, he wrote a journal article about it that I thought was brilliant years ago. That's how I first discovered him. Um, I discovered Gombas, not Bonnie, not Stafford. It was me, okay? Me. Um, <laughs> speaking of envy. Uh, no, there. but he makes the point, um, and it's so freaking simple. When he, when he starts addressing fathers and mothers, and slaves and children, he's talking to the church still. He's not talking mm -hmm. to the nuclear family. So you can't just lift and listen to his podcast for this. He's got one, I don't know, uh, several weeks ago. But, I, but it was so, it made so much simple sense. Oh, household codes were designed to honor, bring honor to the paterfamilias, um, who, who, and then ordered households were to bring honor to the emperor or the ruler. And he's talking about an ordered church, uh, that brings honor to Jesus. This isn't, he's not addressing the, the household rules of a nuclear family. Yeah. And damn it. What have we done with that? Oh, wives. Well, you know, I mean, it's so jacked up. Well, that's a big piece of people's doubt is just that that That's very right. thing like why would god allow his word his infallible word or however you want to freight like put it together why would god allow the one way that he's speaking to us at least in that physical sense like that <laughs> why would he allow it to be so mishandled oh and why would he allow it to be so misinterpreted why would he allow it to be x y and z because it's really uh, i wasn't used profanity it's Ding dong. really messing people. <laughs> Ding dong. Like, the amount of people that have gone on the wrong 
who have been set off on a wrong path because of poorly introduced scripture in the name of God. Yep. That's a big stumbling block for people where it's like, what what God would allow that? This makes way more sense that this is just a bunch of jacked up people making jacked up rules to keep other people down. But but why couldn't it be that? Why isn't it that? Why is God to blame for, if he's going to honor us as persons and the request as we've talked about, is the only way to do that. Then, then how in the world is there? Is it even possible to create something that wouldn't be misapplied, misinterpreted, or misappropriated? Yeah, it's not. That's not even conceivable. Yeah. And so, um, uh, I mean, even the the signs in the heavens, right? Somebody, some people thought it was thunder when it was the voice of the Father blessing Jesus, right? I mean, it's just. It's the nature of honoring personhood that it can be misunderstood. That's why the whole thing is couched in grace. It has to be. Because if it were just up to us, we'd all be dead. Right? I mean, there's, we just, we, the only thing we can do is undergo perpetual intellectual and uh, communal repentance and stay forever curious about how beautiful Jesus is. That's it. That's all we got. And so, yes, I totally agree with you. And I think that's a great topic for a podcast to say, okay, why this? But I'm just telling you, you, you said why. Right. Evil people for their own ends to have power over others. Yep. And they did that with the Torah and they did that with the, the God who said there is no form. We'll make a form. It has always happened. Always. Unless yep. God was going to compel belief. There's no other way for it to have happened otherwise. Yeah, it's fascinating. But he does not damn people to hell for the misdeeds of some jackhat who had an agenda and taught people falsely. Yeah. I feel like we need to have like a whole list of our own swear words that... Like (laughs) the the box guide to cursing, yes. (laughs) Ding dong, ding dongs and jack hats. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Even in that last little thing that you said, and we can end here, but the um, there's just each one of those has such a a huge doubt-filled, confusing tangent. Absolutely. It's just these branches that go off forever, and um, but I think that this, I think that this conversation, I think. And I may be totally wrong, but um, I, I realize deconstruction has been kind of a hot button word for a few years. Um, but I don't, I don't. Maybe I'm just at that age now where everyone's kind of going through. Like you get to that age where all of your friends start getting divorced. You know, it's like, it's like we go through these waves. Yeah. And I'm at that. I feel you know I'm in my 40s now, but my I have a lot of friends who are going through real doubt like like solid like i don't what have i done like what have i devoted my life to this doesn't make any sense yeah and they're like really falling apart and as they're kind of in their real adult life you know we're not 20 and kind of like who am i going to be it's like who have i been right and what does that mean and that's a it's it's just the weight of it is so complicated and so real and yeah so much pain and so much worry and um i don't know i just i think there's so many people listening that are just like yep that's me i'm the one that's been sitting in the church being like what am i doing yeah why am i here but there but there has to be grace for that right i would i would i mean my everything in my being says absolutely absolutely but you, i you see, see it so much freak... people saying no because jack hats all of them jack hat ding dongs no, I mean, <laughs> if the nature of love is is the refusal to control or compel, right? I mean, it, God has to do at least the barest minimum with us as we do with our children when they start wrestling with things, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, come mm-hmm. on. That's part of our image bearing is creating and raising and nurturing the maturity. And... Uh, there's utterly no way Jesus of Nazareth um, is pissed because people are sitting there for years going, this doesn't make sense to me. 
Right. And it takes years and if ever to untangle. That's why it's grace, man. That's why it's grace. That's one of those big tangents. Grace is understanding grace through that lens, I think is a, is a really big conversation. Understanding judgment or um, eternal judgment or annihilationism or whatever through that lens is another big tangent, you know, because it's just, it's just such a big conversation. Like what, how big is grace? How, how far does that reach in the human condition? Um, especially with the human condition itself being That's so a great question. And that, you know, like it, it's, it, it has to be as organic, the human condition and the struggle with, with all that stuff has to be as organic and different as each human being is right. Like it's not just like a blank one, a one size fits all blanket. And because of that, um, grace itself in this context has to be fluid for lack of a better term. Like it's, you know what I mean? It's just a really, it's just a really big, it's, it's also big, but then you guys, it's just so simple. You Jesus just loves me. Your heart, this I know. <laughs> Timothy, uh, you do, you do such a great job with giving voice to, and I love our friends. I love Tim and I have a set of mutual friends and we are just constantly in the middle of glorious conversations about deep things. True. And it's just, I am so happy to be a part of communities that engage all of this. Yeah. You know what I mean? And absolutely. I find it, I guess I just find it super invigorating. I don't find it threatening. I find it unbelievably invigorating because the more, the more I get driven back to the text and to Jesus the more I come away going, crap, this is, this is so much better than they told me. Right. You know, a nice realization. Yeah. Not always, not always. Nope. What they told me is exactly what it, what it teaches. (laughs) Uh, but, but that is so rare. Um, and, uh, and it's true on some of the big things like, yeah, okay. Trinity. Yep. Yep. I buy that after a bit of study. Sure. I buy that. Yeah. But yeah, on so many other things, I'm I'm with you, man. It's like wow. Wow, wow, wow. No, and, good conversation. I'm thankful of uh again, I don't wanna none of this was critical of AJ. It was just a part of the conversation that we didn't get to. So I wanted to Yeah. No, I'm glad to bring I, that up. But I knew I knew he was pressed for an eight o'clock curfew. Yes. And by curfew we mean upper level class on Hebrew level academic curfew yes I however have a curfew of lunch that I must be yeah. I must have be a curfew of WandaVision dude oh my goodness that yeah we're done this has been way too long love you alright <laughs> K Voxers see you guys don't be a jack hat <laughs> don't be a ding dong that's our that's our motto don't be a ding dong Thank you for listening to this conversation. The Vox Podcast is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash Vox Podcast. You can also engage with the hosts on social media at facebook.com backslash Vox Podcast. On Instagram, at Fox Podcast, and on Twitter, at Mike Erie. Thank you for walking this road with us.